Drawing room over here. You made it. Oh, come on through. Do you fancy drink? What's your tipple? Welcome to The Drawing Room, a space for intimate and surprising conversations. I'm Andy Park. In a Turkish beachside resort somewhere in the 1990s, 11-year-old Sophie and her dad Callum are spending the holidays together ahead of his birthday. They have the casual, easy affection of a pair that genuinely likes each other, but under the attentive and loving exterior, we see hints of the darkness that Callum is grappling with. After Sun is a remarkable debut feature, a story of family, of memory, of looking back and of coming of age. Charlotte Wells is the film's writer and director and she's my guest here in the drawing room. Welcome to you, Charlotte. Come on in, take a seat. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. You've described this film as, quote, emotionally autobiographical. What does that mean? That means that when I first began writing it far too long ago, uh, maybe about seven years, it started off as something that was a lot more traditionally structured, something a bit more plot driven, a bit more fictional. Um, there was always the starting point of this young father and his daughter on holiday that was certainly inspired by trips that I took with my dad as a kid and flipping through old holiday albums um, and kind of being struck by how young he looked kind of a as I was approaching the age that he was um, in those photographs. But I think over the course of writing it, I allowed my own memories to kind of feed feed into it more and more, allowed myself to kind of explore um, various feelings um, that, that I had kind of looking back. And so although I wasn't on this holiday, these, you know, sequences of events didn't occur um, as they do in the film. You know, I, I think... I brought, uh, yeah, a, a lot of my own experience and, and memories uh, into into the film, which is why, uh, I, yeah, I kind of came on that phrase. The movie shifts between different tones. It's mostly a soft, quiet, coming-of-age type tone. But then there's that slight feel that there's something wrong. How did you find the balance in tone that you needed? Um, th just through many, many cuts and experimentation, I think, I um I try not to be too heavy-handed with exposition. I'm always building toward feeling um, rather than uh, explicitly telling the audience exactly how how to feel or experience what the characters are. Um, and so I think it was just a case of working very closely with Blair, my editor, um, to try and find the balance between kind of the various points of view in the film, you know, like Sophie's experience as a kid, this more kind of conventional coming coming of age arc, her starting to see the um the world around her with um a little bit more consciousness. Um and then these scenes of of Callum alone where gradually over the course of the film we start to understand that something is is wrong. Even though the the times that they share together are for the most part, you know, very positive, uh, very warm, very loving. Um, and so it really was just a lot of uh, experimentation to try and find that balance in the hopes that, you know, it would resonate with, with the audience and that the feeling, um, the feeling of it would build over the course of the film. Yeah, uh, build is the, is the right word. One of the interesting things about the film is that we see the tensions, but they never really explode. They never really uh, need to explode. I feel like many writers would have felt the need for those explosions, for the clarity. So why were you comfortable leaving that aside? I think it was it was something I did discover during writing. There were versions of, of the script that were 
um, filled with a bit more tension, kind of within the relationship. That the the suspense, uh, the suspense of it was kind of asking and then answering that that question of of allowing it to come from within them. And I I really realized at a certain point that that wasn't what I wanted it to be. That I wanted it to be about their individual experiences that that are kind of the 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 um, source of that tension his his time alone um her seeing of the world but that yeah like i said that together um together they were for the most part having having a really good time and it was important to me that as a father you know he um that was something he was good at that that he was better at being a father than than just about anything else in his life and that this is is rare time that they have together. They they don't live together, and it's um it's it's treasure time. You know, it's finite. Yeah, very special, very intimate sort of relationship there. It's interesting to see the nineteen nineties as a retro setting. Uh, what are the elements that make up that time period when you're recreating it? What are the clues to where we're se- where we're setting in? Oh, I mean, that was so much fun to work on, like working with, um, you know, our designers, our costume designer, our production designer, just on really every detail. I mean, our, our production designer, who was Turkish, like had so much insight into the details that would be specific to that period, down to the size of tiles on the floor. Really? Um, wow, that's so specific. But then if you are a child in that period, you are looking down. It's what would remind you of that time. Yeah, I think I think that's the thing. I I, I think um, I'm willing to be very very specific and know that people are not going to observe every detail, but that probably someone will catch. You know, collectively the audience will catch almost every detail, and people respond to different things. Um, I saw somebody calling out this this specific moment where um, Sophie orders a Fanta lemon. You know, which which as a Brit abroad was was just a very specific um, experience on holiday. You know, like we mm. didn't have those at home. It was like the Magnum Almond. They stopped selling those, oh, so you'd go abroad and uh, the Magnum Almond. Though they, you must try one whilst you're in Australia. They still sell them here. Oh, very good to know. I mean, they're so they're so good. I had a collection of the sticks in my um, my high school backpack that I would always get when I was abroad. And then the equivalent for costume design, you know, like we we are in this almost nineties revival in terms of fashion, and it made it on the one hand quite easy to access certain types of clothing. But um, my costume designer was very specific. He'd be like, the collar is wrong. You know, that's not the right type of collar for that period. And he is was probably closer to Callum's age in the 90s. And so he was able to speak um, just so, like, with such detail um, to the clothing of of Callum's character. And I was able to bring the insight that I had as a kid from the 90s um, to to Sophie. And I, in fact, had, like, kept, um, like, the, the hoarder I discovered I am in the process of making this film <laughs> many, many things from that period that she's watching she's wearing sorry a baby g watch um that that i I was given in like around 1998 just just these things and i think you just have to trust that cumulatively they they do build and the music was obviously the biggest um indicator of the period uh it was always really important to me to have a soundtrack that felt authentic to the period which also meant you know pulling in songs from earlier because we don't only listen to you know, what is being released in the year that we're in. But I did focus the soundtrack around 1997, 98, 
um, w with the hopes of, of yeah, eliciting the, the period. Of course, the other big nod to that time period is the use of camcorder or VHS stock. Uh, part yeah. of the film is seen through home videos. There's something very unique about the format and that sort of vibe. It's imperfect in the way that phones aren't today. There's something about the roughness of VHS that gives it the feeling of memory, isn't it? Yeah, it's mini DV, and it's during the course of um, of editing and sharing the film with people for feedback. I did discover that I think the the beauty of of mini DV um, is appreciated most. I think by people of of my generation, um, and I, I remember sharing sharing the film with a film school professor who. Uh, loved the film and said, "I just you have to cut back on that footage. It's just nauseating to watch." <laughs> um, and she just had a really different take on it. Whereas when we saw that footage and we reshot it, um, so we recorded it. Uh, the actors um, always uh, held the camera during those scenes, and then we played it back on a TV and we recorded it with our thirty-five millimeter camera to kind of yeah, right. just give it a slightly more consistent aesthetic, you know, with the film. So it was reshot in film. But we always looked at that footage and we're just bowled over by love for it, you know, by its imperfection and its messiness and its digital grain that we compounded with the, the film grain. Um, but but that's not true of everybody. So I think um, I think that that does draw the period up for some people more than others. But it was something that was a lot of fun to play with and to integrate into the into the film. Paul Mescal is just wonderful in the lead, uh, caring. He's attentive, burdened by his own troubles, but trying to keep them together for his daughter. Yeah. Introduces to Callum. Um, I mean, you you said it, uh, uh, and. Just to go back, I suppose, to what I said earlier as well, he is, um, he's 30 at the beginning of the film. He's turning 31. He uh, is better at being a father than, than anything else. And so I think he uh, sees uh, himself as the best version of himself when he is with her. Um, he is very ambitious, I think, has a sense of not living up to his own um, ambition and ideals for himself. And so is focused on instilling confidence in his daughter and providing the most opportunity that, that he can for her, which mm. at times, you know, is is a source of, of some tension um, of constantly pushing her uh, that, that culminates during a specific uh, karaoke scene in the film. Mm. Um, but for the most part, they are partners in crime. Um, they're friends uh, and there is just a very kind of sincere, loving, familial relationship um, and, and love that he has for her. And Francesca Corio is just phenomenal as Sophie. What an absolute star turn. Uh, she's 11 in the film. Sophie's 11, that is. What an yeah. interesting age. She's starting to sort of ha have interest in things that aren't per part of her world, um, you know, kissing and beer, uh, but she isn't quite sure what to do about them. What are your memories of that age and how did you want to recreate them? <laughs> Um, Frankie is so special. Uh, she's truly amazing. Um, was so much fun to work with. I, what are my memories of that age? My memories of that age are being utterly obsessed with the Spice Girls. Um, <laughs> playing with your, uh, your baby G, uh, watch. Playing with my baby G watch. Mm -hmm. Collecting um, almond, uh, magnum uh, sticks. 
You've got it. I revealed too much already. Um, I mean, 1998 was a World Cup year. It was one of the last, the, it was the last tournament until recently, international tournament that Scotland had played. So I was football, um, I was football mad, age 10. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I just, I, I guess I remember the feeling of it. I remember the, the launch of Channel 5 on British TV, uh, which was, you know, uh, expanding what was on television by uh, by twenty percent because we only had four channels up until mm -hmm. that point. Um, yeah, it's 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 so hard. It's just infused with, you know, the the feeling of of being of being young and roaming around with your friends with kind of a lot more freedom than I feel like some kids have now. Um, there is one scene where Sophie plays water polo and for once she looks completely lost in an adult world. It, it's a very brief but feels like a very poignant and very important scene. Did that resonate or did that come from your own childhood experiences? Um, yeah, I think like I, I wanted Sophie to be a kid who for the most part is quite comfortable in the world of adults. Like her, her parents are young um, she's maybe feels a bit more comfortable around adults almost than kids her own age, which is why she's really pursuing these teenagers rather than the the pack of kids that are closer to her age who she kind of falls in with toward the end. But the, ultimately there are these moments where she's just shown to be um, very much out of her depth, which feels like a, an absurd pun <laughs> in the context of that scene. Mm. But um, yeah, I think that was just an, an example of a moment where she maybe wanted to to withdraw into a place of just being being a kid um and being in this kind of being in this world and that's also a moment in the film where the, there is this lull you know it's getting toward the end of the holiday um the pool is quiet she there's kind of been this like um push and pull with their their moods that morning and he coaxes her into the pool and she doesn't really want to be there um and and it kind of leads leads to the the separation that that begins there between them that carries through that night. On ABCRN, I'm Andy Park. Charlotte Wells is my guest in the drawing room, and we're talking about her fantastic film After Sun. I'm curious to ask you about the way you filmed Callum, the father. You shoot him from behind, from a distance, yeah. from a child's perspective. Was what I was thinking. Yeah, um, that's interesting. There, are, I, I, I think uh, Greg uh, Oak, the cinematographer, and I work very closely together. He's worked on all my films. Um, I've worked with him on his, and we spent a great deal of time in care discussing how we were going to shoot the film and how we were going to shoot different points of view in the film. So I think there are two ways that you see Callum in the film. You see him directly through young Sophie's eyes. And those tend to be shots that are quite close up. Um, there's like quite a low angle shot in a phone booth that really is very much from her point of view. And we stayed close with the idea that, with the idea that um, Sophie as an adult kind of remembering, which is the, the overarching point of view of the film, I would say, is remembering details. Like I think about the way that I remember family members who are no longer with us. And, and it's like, it's their hands, you know? It's, um, it's like, very uh, specific physical details, almost as if you're piecing them back together bit by bit. And so that was our, our thinking and how we would shoot Sophie's direct point of view of Callum um, as, as, as a kid. And then I, I think in terms of shooting him from behind, uh, that was, those are really the scenes in which we see Callum alone. And when we see him alone, we went out of our way to, to keep him at arm's length somewhat, those tend to be wider shots. 
Um, they are shots in which he's partially abstracted. You never really get a very clear view of him in those shots. Um, and, and that was that was important to us to kind of create this sense that that she doesn't really know what her father is doing when she's not there. You know, like these these scenes are kind of conjured as an adult looking back and imagining what his individual experience was. And so that was our strategy in um, in trying to convey that with the camera. I spent a bit of time watching your film thinking about the phrase a seawall generation. I don't know if you've heard of this. This is the sort of idea where one generation allows the waves of trauma to to break on them but not pass it on to the next. And I was mm. thinking about that idea and that theme, trying not to pass on our traumas to our own children and how much of that was perhaps maybe a hidden theme of your film. Yeah, that, that's absolutely something I was thinking about. Um, and I appreciate you uh, articulating that because <laughs> I think it is one of the more um, subtle themes of the film or, or, or um, themes that you, you need to kind of reach for uh, really having paid attention. So thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's something I thought a lot about. And, and I'm, I'm glad that you felt that way at the end because it, it was a tricky thing to, to figure out how to communicate that she hadn't become her father, you know, that mm. this is looking back, but that ultimately the feeling of loss didn't negate the feeling of love for her and that he he was ultimately able to protect her that as a kid she didn't see um his own struggle um you know like that there are certainly moments where she's not quite sure what's going on with him where she feels maybe confused by an interaction or a moment but he does ultimately i think succeed in 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 protecting her um yeah. And that's the sort of irony of coming of age as a parent because then you start to realise or wonder about what traumas were uh, you were protected from by your parents and that's, uh, I suppose, the journey for every parent. There is an interesting dynamic in the film. You tell a fairly straightforward uh, holiday sort of story in the sense that there's this sheen of memory across the telling. What does that do to how you tell the story? Point of view was the most challenging aspect of writing this film and of shooting the film and of editing the film. Um, and uh, Greg had actually developed this this amazing document when we were when we were um, starting to shortlist the film based on conversations that we'd had, trying to articulate the different points of view. And that is when we we kind of arrived at this understanding, as I mentioned a minute ago, that adult Sophie's point of view is the driving point of view in the film. And so even as we kind of fall into, yeah, these more traditional holiday moments, we tried never to lose sight of that fact that there was this kind of master point of view of Sophie looking back. And whenever we were lost or we were unsure what to do, that is something that, that we would that we would consider. Like, how are we feeling that in, in this moment? And it's very subtle and... Again, it's one of those those many things that you just have to trust in and hope um, starts to make itself clearer over over the course of the film. It's not I'm not too worried at the beginning of the film to to leave big questions for the audience. I, I think it's important you do give opportunity for um, increased understanding over over the course of the film, even if you are leaving leaving questions open at the end of it. So thinking of of that point of view as as the um the anchor 
yeah, I, I think allowed us to to explore the ideas of memory from from lots of different angles. But that that was yeah. always our focus. After Sun, I mean, premiered at the Critics Week in Cannes to rave reviews. Has the release been everything you'd hoped for, or something more? <laughs> um, uh, I mean, something much much more. I think we rolled into Cannes right out of making the film. I, I really didn't have a second to pause and think about it in between. And I feel very, very lucky that I really had never given thought to that moment that the credits would roll. You know, I, I was so focused on introducing the film and being there with the cast and all the crew and sharing the film with people. I, I really hadn't thought about what would happen once it had screened. Um, and so I think the fact that the reception was positive and... and Immediately after that screening, hearing people share their personal experiences, realizing that people really understood the film in a way that I, I really wasn't I wasn't sure. Like it, it was a kind of unusual script. It has this slightly unusual structure. I wasn't 100 percent sure if it worked, but I, I was certainly willing to make it and find out and not self-edit during the script stage um, to, to make something safer, maybe. Um, it, it felt right the the place that the script ended up in these different elements of the dv and, and the, the rave sequences and, and the holiday and adult sophie all coming together but you can never guarantee but by any stretch that it's going to connect with audiences and we really hadn't shared it with people very very few people had seen the film and offered feedback and so no it it has absolutely absolutely blown me away it's been so nice well it's absolutely one of the uh, best films of the year so far and uh, i do hope that uh, although we might disappoint you with fanta lemon in this country i'm sure <laughs> we we can uh, pull through with an almond magnum before you leave our fair shores charlotte it's been an absolute pleasure to have you in the drawing room Likewise, thank you so much. That's Charlotte Wells. She's been my guest in the drawing room and After Sun is screening as part of the Melbourne International Film Festival. You've been listening to a podcast of The Drawing Room with me, Andy Park. For more great conversations, search for The Drawing Room on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts.